us be attentive. Brethren, by faith Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, one strength out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through well attested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Peace be to you, the reader. And with your spirit. Alleluia. St. Matthew, let us be attentive. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Minadab, and Minadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abayud, and Abayud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Adam to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He knew her not until she had borne a son. And he called his name Jesus. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This past week was a bit nostalgic for me. I think any time it snows, it takes me back to when I was probably seven or eight years old. And, uh, and so there's the little boy part of me that likes to get out, and with the blessings of my children, I was able to do some sledding. 
And um, one thing I noticed that I go a lot faster at 200 pounds than I did when I was about <laughs> 75 pounds. <laughs> and the other thing I noticed is that the snow ramps that they make at the end of the hill that kids fly over, I just go through them. <laughs> So it was a lot of fun. As we uh, looked out the window uh, that day and then also that night, and you know when the snow is uh, on the ground, even when it's nighttime and there's not a moon, it's luminous. And it's really a beautiful sight to see. And, and I remember uh, growing up also when we would have really heavy snowfalls that I would go outside either on our balcony, we had a two-story house on our balcony or on the back porch, and I would just observe the snowfall. And it was dead silent. And it's an amazing thing to see snow falling without sound. There's something very serene about that. There's something very uh, peaceful. And I was sitting there, and I was watching the snowfall, and I was just thinking back, and I was just trying to take in the moment of how peaceful it is in the midst of a world that's just crazy and chaotic, especially this time of year, and just to really absorb the the serenity and the peacefulness and the beauty of, of snowfall. And my mind then went to the nativity of Christ and when the mother of God was in the cave and she was by herself and she gave birth without travail, without pain, without any, any sort of suffering at all. And I just thought, because the fathers seemed to be a little bit silent on their commentary on this particular thing, uh, they're not on other things in terms of her ever virginity and whatnot. But I just ma- imagined in my mind that when she gave birth, it would have been, every, all of creation would have been silent. And it would have been like the snowfall at night when it was so peaceful and this baby passed through her like it passes through any woman, but with no pain, no chaos, no people running around. You know what delivery rooms look like, or if you're even delivering in your own home. It's not like that. And I just, I just began to think about what a beautiful moment uh, that was, that was witnessed really only by God and the angels. And I thought to myself, boy, that's really what the nativity is all about. Outside of the incarnation, of course, theologically, but there's something to be said about the peacefulness and the serenity of this time of year and how that really is uh, how we should be approaching this beautiful feast day of the birth of our Lord. Instead, it's complete chaos. We're running around, we're trying to uh, fight the traffic, stand in long lines, we're on the internet, we're trying to order gifts. Um, it's really crazy making. And, and I get the whole concept of gift giving historically with the Magi. I think that it's become obviously way overboard and it's unfortunate that not only our children perhaps, but even us as adults and parents are really missing that moment of silence and stillness that's so perfect and so beautiful about this time of year. 
And I was reading also um, some things uh, in the writings of St. Paisios, and I thought to myself, you know, it's really hard to, to have a, a life of quiet and stillness in a world that's so crazy and chaotic. And I found this little section in his book called External Noise and Internal Peace, and I thought, perfect. This is really what we're talking about. And he has quite a bit to say about it, and he also gives some of his own illustrations in his own life. But he said one thing in particular that caught my attention I wanted to share with you. He says, I think that it's not so much the external noise that is disturbing, but it's one's internal concerns and anxieties. You can always avoid hearing noises, but you can't always avoid worries. And the worries are the internal things. And I thought to myself, boy, that, that has an application across the board. Not only in terms of our Christmas, uh, secular Christmas uh, approach and, and all that that entails, but even in our own homes, even in this church, if you think about it, because we are a young community and we have lots of children, and children naturally make noises, right? So this is just part of being in the church here. And we can say, you know, it's so noisy and chaotic, I can't pray. There's so much distraction. And he goes on to say, when someone has difficulty in saying their prayers or in being in prayer in a noisy place, it's because his or her mind is not completely given to God. Uh Uh-oh. It's back on us, isn't it? We can't point the finger and say, you know, it's just so chaotic. And, and so there, there's, there's so much truth to that. And he goes on to give examples of how he would be in sometimes the noisiest places. And yet those were some of his deepest times of prayer. Because he was fully giving his mind and his heart over to God. And recently I was in, a, in, a, in, a, in sort of a social setting place. And it was very loud. There was a lot of movement, a lot of talking going on. But I picked out... Um, I saw this woman holding a child, probably, I don't know, maybe a year, a year and a half old, kind of like what my sister-in-law is doing right now with my daughter. <laughs> and as I looked at the mother's face, her, her, her head was like into the child's head, and her eyes were closed, and the child was just slumped on her shoulder, just sort of fast asleep, and the mom was just kind of rocking back and forth. And her face was just completely serene. And the child was completely absorbed. And I thought, that's what prayer looks like with God. That we can tune out everything around us. All the movement, all the talking, all the noise. And just get fully lost in that moment. In Christ and with Christ, in communion with Christ. That was the image right there. Two human beings, a mother and a child, being totally absorbed in one another. And that is communion. That is prayer at its best. And this is what St. Paisius is calling us to. So we have this struggle of trying to maintain this focus on uh, our time here and the nativity. and, and, And not just, as we say, the birth of Christ, but God becoming man. And yet, at the same time, we have all these responsibilities, right? We're not going to tell our kids, hey, you know what? We're a very religious family. We're not going to do gifts this year. We're just going to pray the whole time. Or we're going to wake up in the morning, go to church and come home, and we'll do vigil or something. Or maybe we'll eat. You know, they're not going to get it. I don't get it. Um, We're looking forward to that, right? 
We say we're looking forward to the liturgy, but boy, we're looking forward to ripping open presents, aren't we? And then having some good food and breaking the fast if you've been fasting and so forth. So this is part of our, uh, our, our heart's desire, and, and, and we're sort of trained in this way too. St. Paisio says, those who do not put the brakes on their heart's desires for material things, unnecessary material things, and do not gather their mind inside the heart in order to offer everything they have together with their very soul to God, will be very miserable. Now I want to say that there's a lot of joy in ripping open that present and getting that one or two things or you know that you really ask for and 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 that is uh, I think there's um, something very beautiful and innocent in that and as uh, as one uh, clergyman in Greece would say um, that's the kind of desire you need to have for your Lord too that's the eagerness and the joy you must run to Christ as well as the eagerness and the joy in that which we feel when we rip open those presents. So the, the Greek word is epithemia, which means desire. And it's one of the faculties, actually, of the soul, created by God. But when epithemia goes toward a thing, more so than the creator, it is being misused. We naturally have epithemia for things, and sometimes for people, right? That is, that is natural. We have to be careful, though, that that doesn't replace or trump the epithemia, the desire that is a part of the faculty of the soul, and use it for the exact purpose that God created it, which is to direct it towards God. One person asks, Yeronda, is it always bad to desire something? And he says, no. The heart's desire is not bad in itself. But when things, even things that are not sinful or bad, take a piece of my heart, they diminish my love for Christ by that much. Whatever that much is. When I give my heart to God, will not God give me his entire self in return? God seeks man's heart. In Proverbs we read, My son, give me your heart. If man gives God his heart, God will grant him his heart's desires, as long as they will not be harmful to him, and only a heart given to Christ is not wasted. So the things that we desire so much and are hoping to get in exactly seven days from now, right? And who's counting? (laughs) Those things will be wonderful. But they will be wonderful for a time. And after some time, and for some it could be three days, for some it could be months, that thing's not going to be as wonderful anymore. It's going to be old. It's going to be something you'll donate or pass down or something like that. When we give our hearts through our desire to God, He fills our hearts with Himself and God never grows old. He only enlarges the heart more and more and fulfills us more and more and our joy becomes greater and greater. This gift I receive on the 25th, my desire and love for it will diminish. 
When I give my heart to God and God begins to fill my heart with Himself, guess what happens? I want more and more and more and more of it. This thing, I can't get more and more and more of it. Its value will diminish in my mind and in my heart. But what God gives me never diminishes. It only grows greater. So, he says we we become miserable because of the value that we put in the things that we desire that are of this world. Not bad things necessarily, but just things. And then we wonder why we're often miserable. And that's why. But when we begin to turn our heart towards God, and we say, Lord, fill my heart with you and with your love, then we will never be miserable. Even in the midst of the worst conditions that a man or woman could ever be in, they will never be miserable. They will be full of love and light and joy. Just ask the martyrs. Amen.